Numbers 26, a little less dramatic than Numbers 25, thankfully. If you missed it last week, you missed a real doozy. You'll have to go online and get that one. Numbers 26, much more tame, and you'll see that in the reading tonight of a list of names. Now, Heavenly Father, we just turn our hearts toward heaven, toward you. You are the living word. We ask now by the grace of God that you would uh, fill us with understanding, cause us to, to hear your voice, to put these words into practice. I know that you have a word for every person you called to be here tonight. Help us to know that, to listen for it to embrace it and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers 26, verse 1. After the plague from last chapter, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old, or more, who are able to serve in the army of Israel. So on the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, Moses and Eleazar, the priests, spoke with them and said, Take a census of the men twenty years old or more, as the Lord commanded Moses. And it will go on. These were the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Now... Roman numeral number one, God commands a recount. It's time for the new generation to stand up and be counted and counted again. Now, it's been 40 years, some 40 years since the first census or numbering. And as you recall, this is where we get the English title for the book called Numbers because Essentially, Numbers is about two generations, and you at Numbers 1 through 4, you get the numbering the first time of the generation that was filled with unbelief and that led to death. And then here in Numbers 27, I mean, generally speaking, Numbers 1 through 25 is about that generation of unbelief. Now, after the plague, it's kind of an official turning point, and with the census called to be taken of the new generation now with a census. We're going to count the new generation of faith that leads to life and that can get to the promised land and enjoy the blessings of God. The original Hebrew title for Numbers was really Wilderness, but Numbers really um, hits it right on the head there. And so these two generations is really what the book is all about, as I just said. Uh, the faith of this new generation is going to be really wonderfully demonstrated by five sisters that you're going to meet at the end of this chapter. And certainly, uh, I, I will say that certainly this new generation of faith uh, with, with these new believers, as it were, uh, it's not without problems. They have their share of mess-ups, but they are really, by and large, believers, really, now, as opposed to their parents, their predecessors, their 
Now, the, the new census marks this transition, as I've been saying, and officially it's the end of that older generation who's been laboring under that harsh consequences of their disdain for God and their unbelief. You remember what happened, Numbers 14. They were poised on the brink of entering God's promises, but for the tenth time, they did a lot of rebelling and complaining. Here's uh, what is recorded in 14th chapter. So tell them, the Lord speaking, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say, And what they were saying is, he's led us into the wilderness to kill us. And so the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to do that. All right? Not, not, yeah, not quite like that. But you're going to end up just as you've been prophesying about yourself here. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. And now here, the plague, your, your text says, now after the plague, now there are only three people left from that generation, Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. And Moses is about to go the way of the earth, as the Bible calls death. And so... Here we see that they really, the first generation, pushed the envelope. You know, they pushed God too far. Is it possible to push God too far? Well, if you're a believer, we don't believe it's possible to push God far enough for you to lose your salvation because it wasn't merited by you. But it is um, possible to push God too far in that now you will reap the consequences of, of pushing, pushing, pushing. And so they did reap that. I like this. True believers can make it to heaven, but forfeit opportunities in this life and reward in the next. And another quote I like, while the love and grace of God really know no bounds, persistent rebellion will inevitably bring a forfeiture of blessing. And so now after the plague, you've got this census, and now we know, done with the old, Moses is the sole survivor. Joshua Joshua and Caleb are going to be permitted to go into the land because of the faith that they showed in the Lord. And so, in the very same language as we saw the first census was taken, uh, Moses orders that every man, 20 and older, able to serve in the army, must be counted. Now, Having a census taken like this it has a great spiritual applications for us. And as you recall from Numbers chapters 1 through 4, we touched on them, so I'm not going to go into them in great detail, but just mention them. First of all, that God is so keen on counting these people. Number one, God organizes his people for battle. He's giving them the land, but there will be opposition that they must be prepared for. The spiritual application of God being counting his people in a military style. And then the New Testament, all the words for our Christian life. Battle, fight, soldier, armor, sword, weapon. I could go on. In other words, the underpinnings of the people of God, old and new, is that there's a battle not only in our own hearts, but in the world, spiritual warfare as well. 
And so we see that every Christian is really a part of a fight. Paul's last words almost was, I I fought the good fight. And I hope those will be your words when you face death. I fought the good fight. That's what being a believer is all about. And you see it here in ancient Israel. God's counting the fighters. Number two, doing things decently and in order matters to God. Organization, principles, strategies, roles, order, character qualities. God has a way, and he has a way that he wants his people to roll. And if you're not going to do it his way, you're not going to get to the promised land his way. You see, uh, I love that verse in Corinthians that New Testament worship must be fitting and decent and orderly. You know, we don't fit God into our lives, but we, he fits us into his plan. And so you'll remember from chapters 1 through 4 when they first take the census, everybody's got a spot. Everybody knows where their tent is. Everybody knows who's who, what gifts and calling and skills. They're counting. Everybody matters. Everybody has a role. Everybody's in unity, and they're working together, and uh, it's organized. And the last thing I just want to see before we actually get to the list is everyone was counted. Everyone counted. The individual matters to the whole community. Everyone has a God-assigned part to play, a place of service, gifting, skill, and calling. The people of God are composed of individuals called, known, directed, and loved by God. So it's not just this big amoebic mass of people rolling over the hills into the promised land. He knows their names, and they're listed there for you. A lot of those names, the heads of the tribes, the genealogy. Count them all. And you're going to get the number of all the fighting men. We're going to know that it's going to be about 600,000, once again, almost the same as before. But, you know, this idea in the church as well, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's the same fulfilled principle as that you're seeing. Everybody matters. Everybody has a part. 1 Corinthians 12 says that every Christian has a gift, period. Everyone. You have a strong suit. You have something that you do that nobody else brings to the congregation. A lot of times, you know, the mentality is, what happened on Sunday? I wasn't here. What did I miss? No, sir. What did we miss? Because you weren't here. Now, you may say, well, all I do is come in and I sit and I leave. You know, that's not the way it should be. I'm not saying everybody has to have an active role, but you come in. You talk to people. You hear needs. I pray for somebody. I encourage somebody. You might guide somebody with a word. You've got a part in the body. And the census taking is screaming. Individuals matter to God. You know, I love what Paul says. 
you know, the God's foundation has a motto. The Lord knows who belongs to him. You know, we always just think we're one face in the sea of many. And we say, like in Isaiah 40, where it says, Why do you say, O Israel, the Lord has disregarded my cause? He's, he, he doesn't know who I am. He's lost my address. You know, why, why do you say that? The census is like, look, everybody's important. And Jesus will say, God knows the number of hairs on your head, meaning if he so pays attention to something that's of no use, especially for me, (laughs) it is no use. But he says, you want to know how much he knows about you? He can tell you right now the count of follicles or lack thereof on your head. I see a brother out there. (laughs) Sorry. He's like, the last time I'll be coming to this church. For the follically challenged, brother, that we are here for you. If he knows that, he knows all the important stuff, you see. That's what the census is saying, really. Now, Time to move forward now. Um, There's a promised land to possess. They're ready to cross the Jordan into Jericho, and that's official Israel promised land. They're already taking a little bit of it, but really officially you cross the Jordan, boom, promised land. Jericho there will really mark Israel proper. Uh, But, you know, nobody's going anywhere until they get counted and organized and everybody has their place figured out. I do like one comment here. 38 years before Israel was organized, they were counted and very organized. They just did not have enough faith to take the promised land. Organization is good, and the work of God can suffer from a lack of it, but the best organization can never replace bold trust in God. Keep that in your mind. So Roman numeral number two, as we roll on here with the roll call begins, here comes the new list of, um, ever, uh, of Israel, who they are, the names of the sons of Jacob, all 12 tribes listed, except Levi, of course. Now, this will clear up some confusion about the tr- 12 tribes. Levi's out of the list because the Lord said, you're my priest's You're going to be scattered all around. You're not getting a little portion. I'm your portion. So he treated the priests differently. So of the 12 sons, Levi's name is out. Who replaces that, and how do we get 12? Well, instead of Levi, two names are added, but they're considered half-tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's boys born in Egypt. See, so, so... There's some confusion about that. Hopefully, you're not more confused now. All right, verses 4b and 5, just real quick. These were the Israelites who came out of Egypt. The descendants of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were, and here comes the list. Now, check this out. I'm going to read that again. See if you catch it. These were the Israelites who came out of Egypt the descendants of Reuben. Here they are. Excuse me? Ouch. 
These are the descendants who came out of Egypt? No, they aren't. We just skipped over the ones who were because they've written themselves out of the story. They don't even count. Where are the parents? These are not the ones who came out. These are the kids of those. But from God's point of view, you know who the story's about? The story's about them. The story's not about those who snubbed their nose at God and died in the desert, uh, defeated, and in rebellion. The story's not about them. But I just, I just see that like... Boy, boy, here they are. Here's the generation. Here's what the story is about. And he starts naming the ones, but he says, these are the ones that came out of Egypt. You know, ouch to mom and dad, but encouragement to the kids. You're my people. You are the ones I busted out of Egypt, really, out of the slavery of your own unbelief. How many times have you heard in a testimony somebody get up and say, my mom was a drug addict. My father, or my father was in jail. My father was an atheist. And you hear this, these wonderful testimonies of the kid. The kid is parenting in the faith, the parents. That's the message here. That it doesn't matter how bad you were hindered in your start, but you can stand up and say, I'm a Christian. It starts, I love what First John, I mean, John chapter 1 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to that. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. It doesn't matter. The story it just skips right over those parents who die in unbelief. It goes to those who come to Christ. You know, it's just terribly encouraging for somebody who got a rough start in life. Unbelievers write themselves out of the only story that ever is going to matter. I like this quote here. Unbelieving parents cannot stop the blessing of believing children. They become heirs of the kingdom of God with or without the cooperation of mom and dad. The sky's the limit no matter what kind of start you were given. The story isn't about them. The story's about us who find life. I always think of when Jesus says, they stand before him, and he says to the damned, depart from me, I never knew you. Who are you? I don't, I don't know you. God, who created them, is saying, have we met? I, I, do, do, did you exist? Did you exist? You didn't exist. I'm the source of life. You didn't connect to me. You were born, stillborn spiritually. Dead, you lived dead spiritually, and you died dead. If that makes any sense, <laughs> you died twice. Have we met? I don't know you. Who are you? The story's not a, about you, because we don't know you. It is my theory that we will not remember them if Jesus doesn't know who they are. 
If Jesus is scratching his head and going, I don't know you. Please, go away. Evil doer. How, how am I going to recognize them? Is that how heaven can be heaven when we know mom and dad or, or son or daughter isn't there? Because we just don't know them. I can't prove that, and maybe I'm wrong. It's just a thought. Something to think about. And so, moving along, let's get to the list here. Reuben's ancestors, first of the 12, verses 5 through 7. You can read the names all down this chapter it, at your own leisure. I wouldn't want to rob you the joy. All right? So, picking up at verse 8, when there's narrative, I'll pick up. All right? Verse 8, the son of Palu was Eliab. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. The same Dathan and Abiram, by the way, were the community officials who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and were among Korah's followers when they rebelled against the Lord. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured 250 men. And they served as a warning sign. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. Um, Roman numeral number three, pause, quick history lesson. Amazing, here's a list, genealogical list here of Reuben's ancestors who are now standing there being counted. And the Holy Spirit through Moses is going to say, whoa, red flag, let's red flag a couple of these Reubenites in the history. New start, new generation of faith. You're going into the promised land. You're going to cross that river over there. You're in Israel. It's yours. But just red flag, while we're talking about the Reubenites who are all standing here, let's not forget that two of the Reubenites brought a lot of problems to us, caused the loss of 14,700 lives, 250 lives were burned up, Uh, Just terrible, terrible story. You remember number 16, the the ringleaders. You know what is interesting to remember? These guys are Reubenites. They have the two that rebelled, Dathan and Abiram. Remember number 16. They came to Moses and essentially said, excuse us, but who died and made you God? Um, we don't want to follow you anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've been leading us in circles. This is all your fault. We're going to kill you. We're going to stone you. And they stirred up this big thing. Well, judgment fell on them. But one commentator said, do you notice they're Reubenites? They're children of the firstborn son. Therefore, Moses is a Levite. Moses is from a younger son of Jacob. And so... Dathan and Abiram, a little resentful. We ought to be leading Israel. We are Reubenites. You're a Levite. You see, maybe that has something to do with it. Who knows, you know, fire from heaven above, a sinkhole swallows them up. Terrible. And, you know, there's just a pause here. Red flag. Remember, please remember these two. Don't do that again. You know whose motto it is? The sin was rebel against authority. And really, when you rebel against authority, if it's a police officer or a teacher or a pastor or a leader or a father, it's really 
an offense against God. Ultimately, you can trace your problem not to the cop, but to the Lord. And he takes it that way. You know who's, who first said question authority? It was Satan. Eve. Did God really say, let's question this? You know, the big authority said, oh, no, eating of that tree. Did he really say that? I don't think he really meant that. You know what I think he meant? I think he meant something else. Let's question this authority. You be careful. This is a world that hates authority. And this is a Bible that says submit to authority. Not against any common sense craziness that you should use your brain and know he's not talking about that. But generally speaking, when things are right, we submit and we find safety. And it's God's job to deal with Moses or whoever's in authority. Well, historically, some scoundrels' names are to be forgotten about. You just forget about them, right? But other names are red flagged, and they become like bywords of warnings. You know, so uh, Dathan and Abiram and everybody goes, whoa, don't rebel against authority. Or you could say Lot's wife, and everybody goes, don't look back. <laughs> you know, or don't love things more than God. Or you could say Noah's son Ham. Don't disrespect. Those you should be honoring. He disrespected his father. His father drank too much. Fell asleep without his jammies on. And Hammy walked into the... Hammy. (laughs) 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 Well, I know him personally. (laughs) Well, well, back in the day, we used to call him Hammy. And so... (laughs) Hammy walks into the tent... Sees dad, sprawled, goes out and tells everybody. Noah in the big boat. He had a little few too many. He's in there, and he describes it. Dad's laying there, nude. The two other boys get a blanket and back into the tent and won't look upon their father's nakedness and cover it, not expose it. So when you say ham, you think of Disrespect to someone like that, bring curse on you and those who will imitate you. His offspring have suffered. His offspring are the people in this world who have suffered the most. The poorest people in this world are Hamites. The ones who suffered the most. The continent of Africa are descendants of Ham. They are his progeny. No, no, 40 million have AIDS right now. Curse after curse after trouble after trouble after trouble. Can you really trace it back? Well, why did Noah say, you and your descendants are in for a big hurtful fall because they're going to act like you? Now, did everybody act like that? No. But when you have somebody who has a lot of authority, has a sphere of influence like a father, you can really influence people groups. 
It's not to say everybody who is ever biologically related to somebody like that is cursed. But if you, here's the point. If you imitate the behavior that brought the curse, the curse will follow you. If you don't do that, the curse will not follow you. Free will. Okay, I think we've beaten that horse until it now is over. So we can move on here. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. First Corinthians 10 says, so be careful. Learn from the negatives and also Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So he says, you know what? When you see somebody sin and it destroys their life, remember that. Red flag it and avoid that kind of behavior. And when you see somebody who has a good life and is blessed and is enjoying peace and blessing and God is with that person... Imitate that, their way of faith. Your spiritual leaders, imitate them. You see? Positive and negative. So the counting goes on. Verses 12 to 14. Simeon's peeps. All right? Verse 15 through 18. Gad's descendants. 19 through 22. Judah's people. 23 through 25. Issachar. 26 through 27. Zebulun. 28 through 37, Manasseh and Ephraim. 38 to 41, Benjamin's folks. 42 to 43, Dan. 44 to 47, Asher. 48 to 50, Naphtali. 12 tribes, 600, verse 51 now. 601,730. Count the women and children. You got 2.5 million Hebrews. Not bad from the 70 that went down into Egypt. They were fruit, fu- fruit flies. They were, they were fruitful and multiplies. There's the ply on the fruit there. All right. I'm tired. It's 8 o'clock. I want to walk, go home and watch American Idol. All right, number four. Oh, they're off. The total is only off 1,820 from 40 years ago. Now, that's not a good thing. They should be a lot more. Now, what does that say? Well, let's make a few observations. Roman numeral number four. A few observations from the 50 verses of names. Here's David Guzik, who's the husband of the ladies' retreat speaker. He's a well-known commentator. And here's what he says about the 50 verses. The stagnation of population is reflective of Israel's spiritual state during the 38 years. We should have expected more that they would grow, as is normal in the course of generations. Instead, they simply stayed where they were. The 38 years in the wilderness were years of no growth, no advance, just going in circles until the generation of unbelief had died generation of faith had arisen, a generation bold enough to take the promised land. So, you know, that's how it is when you're not walking with the Lord. You're, you, you're not getting anywhere. So 40 years later, what, what do they got? The same number, plus or minus a few. Spiritual retardation for Christians, 40 years and you still need it to be spoon-fed, 
You still need to be a crisis Christian. You still need to be panicked when the first sign of trouble comes. You still need to be taught the essentials of how to have a quiet time, how to resist pornography. Forty years. You come up with the same thing as when you were 19. This is, this is the message here. A generation has come. Where's the fruit? Oh, same thing. That's what happens when you unplug from God and do things your own way. You will come up 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Come on. We all have relatives like that. And not talking about Christian. I'm talking about the guys who still open up their shirt all the way down to their navel and wear gold chains. And, I mean, come on. You're acting like you were 18. Grandpa's not supposed to be like a sex symbol. My gosh, wearing tight leather pants when you're 75 years old. Stop, please. It's over. Oh, my gosh. Thank the good Lord for that. That is secular, emotional retardation. 40, 50 years goes by, and then you think, just because you're having a birthday, sir, doesn't mean you're maturing. It just means you had a birthday. You've got to apply yourself. You have to think about character. You have to have goals. You have to be intentional about how you live. You have to practice and exercise your faith. Then you become mature. Not Retarded. I, I mean that in the clinical way of that word. I did. Oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying. I'm just going to say in Jesus' name, amen, if you keep pushing me. And probably you're like, yes. All right, moving on. Uh, a couple more items here. Ah, uh, do we have that chart? Did it work? No? No, you couldn't do it. All right, there's a chart, and it shows the plus or minuses of what happened in the county. And there's only one big wow, and your eyes would be drawn to it. It's Simeon's people. Simeon lost 23,000, 64% drop. Now, nobody else did. It was up three, down four minus 9, plus 4, and then minus 63. What was that about? Well, you remember last chapter? You know the dude who waltzed through the sanctuary with a Moabite honey on his arm? And they went in to consummate their relationship in the house of God? You remember him? He was a prince, but he was a Simeonite. The plague that came down that destroyed 24,000 people, most of them were his people. Not because they're biologically related to him, but because they were, by behavior, connected. He's their prince. Look at our prince. He's leading the sexual revolution. We follow him. And look at what it affected Recently, I was at the gym, and all the televisions are up along the wall. 
And there's prince after prince after princess after princess after prince of people whose behavior gets emulated and ends in destruction. You're thinking, this is one dude got crazy and went into the house of God and did something unthinkable. But it cost, and that's what your text is trying to tell you, it cost his people dearly. You are not an island. When you sin, it affects people. When you obey the Lord, it affects people. One day, I was worshiping down here, and I was having a hard time worshiping. I was just out of it, just cold, and just didn't feel it. And I'm sitting there, and a guy was next to me, and he was feeling it. And his hands were up, and he was saying, Jesus, in between the song, and I heard him belting it out. It impacted me. It drew me in. You see, the power of a life lived well or sinning and being disobedient. Where I was getting with those princes, you know, one of them, and I hate to bring up names, but, I mean, he's a fad kid right now, you know, Justin Bieber, whatever his name is. (laughs) What is it? Oh, it's not Bieber. Whoops. I'm so sorry I'm not up on all the teeny boppers. Uh, thank God you should be saying. Listen, do you know how many, a sea of faces you can't even count? He, one guy. How many Beatles were there? Just a few changed the world. Like people like Oprah, one life, a force for harm, spiritually speaking. Miley Cyrus, oh my gosh, millions of girls are taking their cues from her. One life, the one guy walking through thinking it's just me. No, friend, you will be the impetus to stumble an entire clan. One person's life. One of my deepest prayers has always been for about 30 years now. I want to be a force for good. I really want my life to count so that when somebody stands before God, they might be able to say, your servant Ross helped me. He encouraged me. I had a turning point. And that guy over there with the full head of hair. (laughs) Oh, excuse me, but... I will have way more hair than anybody else in this room. Why? Because I have suffered. (laughs) And you now with the rugs, goodbye. That's coming off. You've had your heaven. Now, if I hear that in heaven, how about you? You're standing there and somebody says, you know, I was right there at the door. I could have gone left or right, Lord. But, you know, Leon... She, she, you used her to do something. Mike and Lanita, that couple, they took me in or they prayed for me. You know, I, I could call all of your names out. Don't you want to hear? I want my life to have lifted somebody up and pushed them in the right direction. I feel that will be, my life will be worth having lived it. That's the goal. But you've got to be thinking. You've got to be thinking that. You won't be doing that as you're cutting corners 
taking shortcuts, secret sinning, not reading your Bible, not striving. It won't happen. Nobody will say anything about you on that day. Glad you're there. Glad you're there, saved by grace. But is anybody going to say, they encouraged me. They, they made a difference in me. That You want to hear that, folks. And that, that's going to happen. You're building that tonight. Tonight is when it matters then. We just keep thinking it's tomorrow or the next day or then down the road. It's tonight that you get that opportunity that you'll hear about then. So look around. Who can you encourage? Whose sails that you can uh, light up and be a blessing to? Really, that's where we're going to end for tonight. Well, there's just a little, little, there's just a little left here. And we have a couple of minutes. Let me finish. We'll just finish with this few verses here. The Lord said to Moses, verse 52, the land is to be allotted to them as an inheritance based on the number of names. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Be sure that the land is distributed by lot. We're going to talk about casting lots. What each group inherits will be according to the names for its for its incentive ancestral tribe each inheritance is to be distributed by lot among the larger and smaller groups okay last point then Uh, roman numeral number five fair and balanced approach the purpose of the list is to get ready for crossing the jordan into jericho and to divvy up the land and he's just saying the principle there's two things the principle i'm using to give you all the land is take a look at the chart bigger tribes are going to get bigger land just so you know and then the method i'm going to use joshua i believe it's like chapters 14 through 21 you'll see it is casting the lot that's how i'm going to do it the lord says but just know that i've got a reason for why you will pull the lot that you pull now let's talk about casting lots first of all it's mentioned 70 times in the old testament it was a popular way of finding out what God wanted. In fact, God said, go ahead and cast a lot, and I'll answer. Now, let's talk about that. It was a way of getting a yes or a no or to settle decisions. Listen to Proverbs 16.33 about casting lots. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 18.18. 18, casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. Now, what was it? Nobody really knows, but they say it's kind of like sticks, long and short, and you throw them down, or you you have to pull one, and and the one with the short, maybe, nobody knows, would be like dice. It's actually like a little bit like Rochambeau, you know? It's a little bit like flipping a coin, rock, paper, scissors. That's what it was. And God, in the Old Testament, uses it. He appoints leaders in the temple by lot. Um, What else happens by lot? Jonah. They cast lots like, who brought this trouble on us? And Jonah pulls the short stick. Oh, that would be me. (laughs) Well, it's very interesting. Now, Christians, what do we think about this? Well, 
Remember what I taught you last week? Always look at the Old Testament through the lens of the life, the completed life and work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be lost if you don't do that. Because if you don't, you're going to take a verse like this and go, we're going to cast lots here. Lo, Lord, we pray that you, and then we're going to do that. Now, the disciples do it when they need to replace the disciple for Judas. The Lord said, wait until you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait. He didn't say cast lots for anybody. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. They cast lots. It was either Joseph called Justice or Matthias. They both qualified. By the way, there were qualifications. You had to have been with them from the beginning and had seen the risen Lord. So when somebody tells you they're an apostle, please. Have you seen the risen Lord? And have you been with the disciples from the beginning? (laughs) Those are the qualifications. And two guys, they both liked them both. They cast lots. You never hear one word about Matthias again. Not one word. Now, to be sure, you don't hear about Matthew either. Or a lot of the disciples. So I don't think you can totally build a case for it. But most commentaries say, bad move. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what we should think about casting lots. The high priest had a breast piece on his uniform. There was a pouch. And inside the pouch was something like casting lots. It was called the Urim and the Thummim. And they were gemstones. And commentators say that the high priest, they, they would bring a, a, a dilemma, and the two stones, it was either a yes or no or true or false. And it was in there. He would reach in here and pull out the answer. Now, who, see, we view through the lens of the New Testament. Who's the high priest now? We are. We are a kingdom of priests. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We are a kingdom of priests. What's going on in here? The Holy Spirit, whom they were told to wait for. Where do we get our answers from? The Holy Spirit. Prayer. Not to cast lots. We go into the throne room of God in our time of need to find grace and mercy in our time. We hear the voice of the Lord. We have the word of God. We don't throw dice. To put out a fleece before God is is really a lack of faith. Gideon is not being courageous. He's got the the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ talking to him. And he says, how do I know I can believe this? Well, for one thing, the Lord is talking to you. And he says, well, let me, let me test you out here. No, 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 no. God will graciously deal with us and help us. But that wasn't, he wasn't honored for that. It would have been really much better just to take God at his word and not play games with, well, if I open the Bible. Please, if you do that, don't tell me. Don't tell me you do that, all right? 
Please. But it works, Pastor. It works, Pastor. <laughs> God is gracious to you. That's what I'll, I'll have to say there. Okay, you can't live your life by looking at bumper stickers, reading fortune cookies, horoscopes, and Bible flipping. None of that. Try this. Asking. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Try praying, reading the Bible, godly counsel. Those are the ways you hear the voice of God, not by doing something like that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness and that you are alive in our lives. We don't need any crutch. We have you. Help us to develop that listening ear so it will be just as easy as casting lots and easier hearing the voice of God. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song.